Um, I've got to be really careful how I start off today because my opening statement is that musicians at times can be a little bit arrogant, a little bit overbearing, <laughs> scathing of other people. I hasten to add, not all musicians, but famous composers and conductors are famous for saying some pretty rude things. Um, on one occasion, at the start of uh, performing concerts, the chief oboe was meant to be playing out the note of A so the rest of the orchestra could tune to that one note so all the instruments were in tune and sounding good together. And instead of a confident, single, clear note, there was some uncertainty. The note was wavering up and down a bit. And the conductor eventually lost his patience and said, ladies and gentlemen, just take your pick. But there is truth to that, because if the orchestra does not tune to exactly the same note, then however good the players individually are, it is going to sound awful. And there's a few things that, before we get into the uh, Bible text of today, a few points that I'd like to bring out from this idea of being in tune. The problem here is that Steve thinks he set this series up perfectly. Sound engineer, Decades of experience working with the top artists in the world. He thinks he can go on about that in a really interesting way. And then he lets a physics teacher <laughs> preach during this series. We are in trouble, I'm afraid, here. If you're trying to tune an instrument against something like a tuning fork, um, or just tune two instruments to each other, then when you're a long, long way off, it's fairly obvious what's going on. If you're sitting anywhere near me when we're singing, you'll see that in action. But actually, strangely, something happens when you get two notes which are almost perfectly in tune, just a little bit out, a really interesting bit of physics happens, which I'd just like to demonstrate. If the technology works, there's going to be a 12-second video clip about physics, because that's what everyone wants at this point. <laughs> Number one. Constructively. That's called beats. that wobbling up and down. You can see it on an oscilloscope. When you get these two notes, which are very, very similar, but not quite right, you get that weird thing, it's called beats in physics, where the volume just wobbles up and down, and you get this very funny sound. And actually, you can use that to tune an instrument really, really carefully by basically tuning it until that disappears. When I thought about being in tune, one of the things I realized is that when we are a long way off from God, it's fairly obvious that we're a long way off from God. We don't always see all of our sin. As we actually start becoming more in tune with God, and I do mean this to be an encouragement, as we become more in step with God and his word and his ways we start seeing our imperfections, those slight differences, all the more clearly. As you become less and less sinful, you see those remaining bits of sin more and more and more. I just want to give an encouragement that actually, if you're in a place where all you can see is your sin, all you can concentrate on is what you're getting wrong, that may well be because God is bringing you close to him and you're seeing the same as this. He's showing you, you're, you're, you're seeing more and more clearly 
because you are in tune with God. That's the first thing that occurred to me when I was just looking at the topic as a whole. And then I realized that actually if you try and tune more instruments together, like the example of the orchestra who do tune to an A given out by the oboe, there is an objective standard. You, don't, you cannot have in an orchestra each instrument deciding that they have got the right notes and that actually their way is absolutely fine and everyone else just needs to be okay with that one. There is one right answer. There is one A that everyone needs to tune to and get in line with. In the orchestra, it's been decided it's going to be the oboe. In life, it's God's will. It's his word. It's his standard. There is an absolute standard that everything has to aim for. And then the last thing, my second bit of physics, is the idea of resonance. Something I love teaching because it basically explains why your washing machine walks across the floor when it's spinning at a certain speed. Um, what we're going to have a look at very quickly is the second clip. We're going to have a look at how two instruments tuned to the same note... So we start one of them ringing, stop it, but the second one has picked up that tune. Okay, in physics we have this idea that there is one source of the sound in the first place. We call it a driver, which I quite like if I'm thinking about God being in the driving seat and deciding what should be happening. There's a driving frequency, a specific note that it's trying to give out. And if we put another object nearby, which has what's called in physics a natural frequency, which matches that, that second object will start to vibrate, oscillate in sympathy with the first one. It will pick up the tune, the note of the first one, if it happens to match. Okay? That can sometimes be a real problem. If you remember the Millennium Bridge in London, when it was first opened, they had to close it because as people walked across it, it wobbled so much due to this idea of resonance. And what they had to do was they had to change its natural frequency. They had to change its structure, what it was like, so that it didn't match up. But sometimes you want things to match up, and you change the natural frequency until it matches the driving frequency, and then you get this idea of resonance. And something picks up the tune, picks up the note, is in harmony with the driver. And again, that, that spoke to me. Maybe because I'm a physicist, maybe it will speak to you with that um, as well. Because we have a natural frequency. But due to the fall, it does not start off being in tune with what God wants. But it can be adjusted. There's this tool for it, it's known as the Holy Spirit, acting in our lives. And he slowly changes our natural frequency so it lines up more and more with God and what he's saying, so we can be in tune with him. And the whole point of this is, when you're in tune, you don't have to do anything. That second box there, nothing was, it didn't have to do anything. It was just near the original note, the original noise, and it picked up the same thing. It literally picks up energy, it gains energy by just being in tune in the first place. And I really feel that that's something that God wants to remind us of today. If, it's, if you're weary, if it feels like a burden, it's not meant to be like that. Jesus said it's not meant to be like that. Let the Holy Spirit change your natural frequency and you will just automatically 
Get that energy. Get that drive. Get that harmony with God. Steve spoke in the very first session about things like delight and desire. As we spend more and more time getting in tune with God, our desires start aligning with his desires. We delight in what God delights in, and then life is easier in that sense. Let's get away from my bad physics explanations, and let's get into the Bible. If we can go to the first slide that has um, lots of words on it. It's taken from the Old Testament. We're looking at the book of Samuel, and we're looking at the story of Samuel's Um, Well, actually, before he's even born in this first segment. Okay, Samuel's going to be a prophet, but let's look first at what happens in the life of his mother in particular. There's a few more words I'll read out that aren't up there, just to try and make it legible. But a certain man had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Might be pronouncing that completely wrong. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. They went up to the temple, and on the day they sacrificed... He would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, twice as much food, because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed... Just check. Yep, that does look right. Uh, Though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her. And so it went on year by year. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? But she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly. And she vowed, O Lord of hosts, if you will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor soft drink, uh, strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went on her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him uh, from the Lord. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her to the temple, this is, and said to Eli, as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. The first thing that strikes me in this passage is something which hopefully is not true most of the time. I just want to make that very clear, and in the second half of what I'm saying, I'm pretty sure that's going to come through strongly, but please make no mistake, this is, this is not a description of how things should be, but sometimes people, even our loved ones, even people in the temple or the church, actually aren't really enough, and we find out that we desperately, desperately need God. That is the first thing that this passage says to me. We need to be in tune with God for times like that. 
We see here, first of all, that Hannah's husband tries to make things better, a bit like a typical man. Actually, the first thing he does is give her more food, fairly obviously, which makes the situation worse. And then he uses words and tries to fix fix stuff by, by, by saying, but don't you love me? It's all about me. Why are you sad? That's getting me down, Hannah. Am I not worth more to you than ten sons? Not really the right approach. Um, one commentator on this has said maybe it would have been better if he had set, um, turned that round the other way. You are worth more to me than ten sons, Hannah. Might have been a bit better and acknowledge how she was feeling, although, as I think all the men will acknowledge, probably that would be wrong as well. <laughs> maybe just speaking, it, speaking at that time probably isn't the thing to do. <laughs> Whatever you think about that, his approach is not a good approach. He's, he, he, he's, he is not the help to her that she needs, and Hannah realises that actually she needs to be in tune with God directly. And she is not afraid to express her emotions. Rather like the Psalms, we see in this story, in this narrative, that it is okay to be anxious, to take out your vexation, to go and to rant and to rave. I mean, she is really going for it to the point that Eli thinks that she is drunk. She is not being restrained and not saying to God about the problems and how she feels. And God is fine with that. He's listening. To be in tune, we've got to be honest about how we really, really are. That's where we get real intimacy from. Not when we hide and pretend things are okay. We see here in Hannah's story, that actually things were painful for her. It looks like it turns out okay at the end. She gets the son, and that son does great things for the Lord, but that doesn't minimize the fact that there was pain and suffering on the way. And God's heart for us does always involve making us dependent on him. Hannah learns that she has to depend on God. No one else can give her the son that she craves. No one else can make her feel worthwhile. She is dependent on God. Whether you use the phrase dependence or you think of that as God's discipline, him teaching us something, a life lesson, that is very much seen here. C.S. Lewis says, pain insists upon being attended to. Because God, he only whispers to us in our pleasures. We hardly hear anything from him when things are going right. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to a deaf world. And again, I want to stress that I don't think this is what normally happens, but look at Eli's reaction. The church authority of the time in the temple misunderstands, even possibly mocks her. If we're really being honest, if we're really going for that intimacy, others, even the church, even our families, those close to us, may misunderstand. But Hannah was right to be honest with God. We would be right to do exactly the same thing. We see a couple of other reasons that we should really desire to be in tune with God, reasons we need to be in tune with God, speaking to him, hearing back from him on the same wavelengths, in harmony with him. And the first one is clearly God listens to this prayer. God hears Hannah. And I just want to say God hears every single prayer from every single one of us in here. There is not a prayer that any of us have ever uttered that God has not heard. 
because of discipline, because of his grand plan, because he knows where everything is leading, he may well say no or not yet instead of yes, but he hears every single one. And another reason that we need to be in tune with God, what God says will happen does happen. It's a miracle that Hannah's womb is opened and she does have this son. Thinking personally about this, I think it's when we are down, when life is difficult, that this is really, really important and obvious to see. It's at times like that that we're aware that we really need God. Pain is shouting to us. Difficulty, suffering is shouting to us. We need to know God. And I'll be honest, at that time, we need to know God, not just as head knowledge. We need to know it in our hearts. We need to be spoken to intimately. There are times where we need to feel loved as well as knowing that we're loved. We need to feel chosen and special, valued. We need to just know that God is protecting us and caring for us. Thinking back to the last few years of my life and when stuff has been really, really tough, I'm very aware of a couple of times that God spoke to me and to Rachel um, and really, really helped us through a very difficult time indeed. Um, it's going back about three years now. It's actually on a worship conference because our musicians are great. They really, really are, spiritually, in terms of their character, as well as technically. Um, Rachel was given a word by somebody else. Someone else had a word that they passed on to her. And it was about the fact that life was going to be difficult. There was a dark valley ahead that God would be in it. We didn't know what it meant at the time. It was only a few months later she was diagnosed with cancer. And that was a horrible journey to be on, going through that to the point when she went to be with the Lord. But all the way through that experience, through that year of suffering, I know how much that word meant to her. We could have gone and looked in the Bible and it would have said, God is in control. God has got a plan for your lives. I can stand here and say that now to you, and it is just words. It might just be head knowledge. But having been given that word, because someone heard from God supernaturally for her, hearing that before the trouble started, and then remembering it later on, meant the world to her. She knew it in her heart as well as in her head. She knew that God was in control through everything. So when a terminal diagnosis came, she still knew God was in control. When she got to the last few days of her life, she knew God was in control. That's why we need to be in tune with God. Similarly, I only remembered it when preparing for this and based on some of the words that um, Steve's given, but the one phrase in those few months that rang out from the Bible to me was a sentence about delighting. The first instance was spoken by someone else into Rachel's life. The second one was me reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit prompting me to notice a specific bit. Both are really valid ways that God can speak to us. And they've sustained us through, all the way through those difficult times. 
I've said that that's kind of the, 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 the hard place. That's the place where it's obvious. In some ways, when stuff is going well, it's even harder because actually that's when we're not likely to hear God and we're not likely to realize we need him so much. When times are good, do you remember how much you need God? I was driving home um, from work last week. I'd had a really, really nice day. I hadn't actually been to proper work. I'd had a very easy day. I was getting to drive through the countryside. It was absolutely pouring with rain, but I was quite enjoying that. No kids in the car, kind of able to um, enjoy driving. I had some music on fairly loud. Life felt good for a bit. And I put on an album from 20 years ago uh, by Fatfish. Um, And for whatever reason, a lyric on track one at the very start spoke to me in that circumstance. I am a stranger here. I don't fit in. I'm out of place because I'm a citizen of heaven. And it's obvious to see that I belong with you. I don't want to settle or get too acquainted with this life. Now, this might be just me, but my word, when life is going okay for me, that's a message I need to hear three times a day, every day of the year, because it's so easy just to enjoy when stuff's going well and forget that actually there is something more going on. And God took the lyrics of a Christian song, and because they're based in the Bible, they're likely to speak, but he made those ones speak to me in particular at that time. And then the the last reason we need to be in tune with God is that actually his ways are not the same as his ways. They are higher, and sometimes, for reasons we cannot get, they say the opposite of what we would expect. Every time I've had a big life decision to make, whether to get married, where to live, whether to stay in this country or go overseas to work on the mission field, whether to have children, I've made a habit of really actually seeking God in case what I want to do, in case my desires aren't lining up with his plan, because it's possible that they won't. And most of the time, most of the time, actually, I have heard from God about those, and I felt a sense of peace. That doesn't mean audibly or written in the clouds a big message, but just knowing that what I'm doing is right, and that it's in line with what he wants. And that has been a great help. When I felt that really, 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 God was saying, no, stay in England, don't go and give your life somewhere else in the world, there was a bit of me saying, what, am I not good enough for that? And actually, over the years, it was only knowing that I had sought God, and he had said the opposite of what I expected him to say, that, that kept me going. I needed to know that I was in tune with God for that decision. I'd really commend the idea of fasting as came up in the week of prayer as a way to take on those big decisions and really to try to get close to God when stuff like that is going on. The second thing that I want to say, as well as needing to be in tune with God, we should expect to be in tune with God. It's the natural state of things for us as Christians. Looking back to this story here, I just want you to notice that Hannah was the last person that people back then would have expected to be in tune with God. She wasn't the priest back in a time where that was really, really important. 
She wasn't that one person in a generation that the Holy Spirit came on specially for a time of their life to speak God's word to the nation. And looking at the culture back then, she was a woman. And therefore, people would not expected her to be in tune with God, to be hearing from him and for him to be taking special care of her, for miracles to happen in her life. Notice that, obviously, with, uh, when we're told that your sons and daughters shall prophesy, that is very much not something for today. But that is the culture at this time. She was the last person that people would have expected to be in tune with God, but God chose to break into her life. When she spoke to him and tried to get on his wavelength, God was on her wavelength. If we can move on to the second slide, I'm not going to read everything that's up here, but a few years later, Samuel is serving in the temple. And I just want to highlight the fact that he's ministering to the Lord under Eli, the chief priest, and it tells us the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There were no frequent visions. People, again, would not have expected Samuel to hear from God. It was rare. That is not the case now. We live the other side of the cross and the other side of Pentecost. We are told that we should expect to see more than that once-in-a-generation person did in the Old Testament. We should expect to hear from God. There's a false dichotomy that sometimes comes into Christianity. Because we have the perfect word of God here, some people think that we shouldn't hear in ways that people in the Old Testament did. God is not, his character is not to say, I'll give you this, I'm going to take this bit away. He wants to give us so much. He's given us his perfect words, and he wants to speak to our hearts as well. Notice in this story who it is that God chooses to speak to. The Lord calls Samuel a child. And he calls him, and Samuel comes running to Eli and says, here I am, here I am, for you called me. And Eli has to say, but I didn't call you, lie down again. And this happens three times. And it says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. Eventually, Eli perceives, he realizes that the Lord is calling the young man Samuel. And therefore, he tells him, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel lies down again, and the Lord calls. So Samuel says, well, he doesn't say, speak, Lord. He just says, speak, for your servant hears. His faith is not complete. This is not someone we would expect to hear massively from God. He's a young boy. Eli is in the same room, the chief priest. He doesn't know the Lord yet. The word of the Lord has not been revealed to him yet. But God chooses through a miracle, and the birth of Samuel is a miracle in the first place, as we've seen already, but he, this person chosen by a miracle, God speaks to it comes to someone without standing in the community because he's a child, without religious standing yet. It comes to the unexpected. Now we're told that our old men will dream dream and our young men will see visions. It's everyone now. Everyone should be expecting this. And if you're feeling that that's everyone other than you, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been chosen by a miracle as well. 
the miracle of the cross has reconciled you with God. It's easy to say in words, but really, you think if he's died for you, he's not going to speak to you? He wants to. He really wants to. On this note of expecting to be in tune with God, just a couple of examples. The first is a small example, and it's an immediate example. This dates back about 15 years to when I was living in a different bit of the country, in a different church, and I was going through a situation at work where I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to stand up for my rights or whether actually to take that Christ-like, humble attitude and basically lie down and be walked over. And somebody in my midweek group, at the end of a Wednesday night, said, I mean, this is really weird. I feel stupid sharing this with you. I feel really, really stupid. Just, just, I'm going to say it, but just ignore it and don't think stupidly of me. I've just been looking at you this evening, and God has just been showing me a massive set of teeth. I mean, it's stupid. Just, just ignore it. Just ignore it. But no, in that instant, I knew God was saying to me, have some teeth here. Have some bite. Go and actually stand up for yourself. This is a situation where that is what I want you to do. It just made sense. The second they said it, I knew that God was speaking to me. If that person hadn't stepped out and felt foolish, I would not have been guided. And I suspect my life would be quite different now. I think it had fairly big implications for the last 15 years of my life. Someone stepped out, they saw something from God, and they were not too afraid to share it, however it made them look. Just contrast that with the idea of praying whether it's for a partner, whether it's about whether to have children, whether it's about what job to take, whether it's about where to live in the world. Those are big decisions with long-term importance. God speaks to us in both of those situations. It is not one or the other. And then just to finish off, in contrast to that first thing I said, which is we need to be in tune with God because sometimes we are going to be dependent just on him. Sometimes other people won't be enough, and that is true. Most of the time, God does provide them to help us massively. In the first part of the story, Hannah is pouring out her woes, her heart to God. And it's when Eli, a very imperfect chief priest, very, very flawed guy, is when he comes across and essentially prays with her and says, I hope that God gives you what you want, doesn't really do much more than that, that she feels a sense of peace. She goes away and her face is not sad, and she starts eating. Someone coming alongside her was enough to make the difference in her life and to how she felt. In this story, Samuel is being called directly by God, but it's only by Eli's godly counsel that actually it progresses. God chooses to use someone flawed to call Samuel. Eli has to say, it is the Lord. Say this to get Samuel to actually engage with God. Even though Samuel's going to give a message of judgment upon Eli's entire family, Eli helps get there. Wise counsel. Godly friends help us to hear the word of God and understand the word of God. That person who's brave enough to say, I see teeth when I look at your face, they help me to hear the word of God. I, don't, I can't remember who it was. Whoever on the worship team gave that word to Rachel helped her so much. 
even though it sounded like a negative. Life's going to be tough. Who wants to give that word to someone else? But oh, the good it did. Please can I encourage all of us, take risks, step out, hear for each other. This week is meant to be on us being in tune personally with God. And yes, we do do that through our own quiet time one-on-one with God. But reflecting on my life, I reckon about half of the time, half of the occasions I can remember that God spoke personally to me, it came absolutely through another person that God was using. Half the time directly to me and half the time through somebody else. We need to expect to hear from God, but we need to expect to hear from God from other people. And we need to expect to hear God for other people and go and tell them. Tell them whether it's encouraging or tell them whether actually, even if it doesn't seem encouraging, take that risk. Do it with grace. Thus say if the Lord is probably not the way to start off the conversation. I think God might be saying this might be gentler if you think this isn't a great thing to say, but please take that risk and say it. Thank you to all those people who have brought songs or words this morning. Do you know what? I'm not sure I can find this in the Bible, but what really encourages me is when it's lots of different people. I love hearing from people who often have contributions to make. I think there's room for them to keep on giving contributions and for some of the rest of us to step up and speak out. Because God wants to use that to help everyone's lives. And we need to be ready then to hear from people. When people bring words, bring songs and they're singing them out, have you got what Steve's called a surrendered heart? Are you willing to listen and let that word of God actually change you to penetrate your life? Just a couple of other illustrations quickly. We need to be in the word of God on a regular basis because God is going to speak to us personally through this. And his Holy Spirit... Invite him to be there when you're reading. Pray and read and pray and read. Mix them up because God is then going to use this and apply it to your life in particular. Listen to worship songs. Pray, sing along to them, but have them in the background because those lyrics, which are based on the Bible, based on God's word, they are good things to hear and God can call call them to mind. But do it also as a way of getting your heart ready, giving God time to be able to have that conversation with you and bring you into tune with him. Take the time to be quiet and ask God to speak as well as pouring out your life to him. God will speak in everyday times. A couple of examples, years and years ago, walking down the road, God does not normally speak to me in pictures at all, one of the few times I can remember is when I was just walking down the road, nothing to, was not praying, was not thinking about how glorious God is, probably should have been but wasn't, and he gave me just a picture. Very, very rare does that happen to me, but something that every year of my life since has had an impact, just walking down the road. A week and a half ago, he brought to mind the lyrics of a completely secular song, which at the moment is speaking massively to me. He will use all sorts of things to speak to us, but base your life on this first, because I'm going to be honest, he's going to delight in using it loads if you do that. And I do just want to point out that there, are, there have been other things in the last couple of weeks that have spoken to me. 
And they've come largely because of people sharing. When we've had that week of prayer, and we've had those daily emails in the morning to say, have a think about this, pray about this. And there have been links to other websites, especially John Piper's Desiring God website. When I've not had time to look at the email, I've stored them so I can come back to them later because God can speak through stuff like that. It's third hand when it gets to me, but God can use it. I'm not sure it's for me. I wonder whether it's for someone here. But one of the articles that's been linked to has a link to don't face unbelief alone. We need each other's help, which kind of fits in with the theme of today. But I wonder whether actually there's someone who needs to see what that article says and get the truth of it. We need each other's help. An article on there, how to jumpstart my prayer life, has really spoken to me. And I would only... I've only noticed it because someone else in the church took the time to put that together and sent it out. We're going to be in tune with God personally because of each other and because of spending time on that. I'm actually going to finish by just talking through um, uh, most of the words in that article. This is from John Piper, not from me. It's really, really spoken to me. And I think it's something that he wants to use to speak to other people. Um, and some, again, some, not all the text will come up on the final slide. Uh, the writer would be too small if I put it all up. John Piper says, The devil defeats most praying before it happens because we did not make a plan. I've been at this a long time, and the devil hates me and my prayer life. You wouldn't believe how many good things keep me from praying. So pick a time and pick a place and show up. And under the heading, limited prayer, weak passion, the hard truth is we Christians don't do very well. We don't pray very much. We pray at meals, maybe, unless we're still stuck at the adolescent stage that thinks good habits are legalism. That spoke to me massively. Are you at the stage where anything disciplined you think of as legalism? Because it's not. If we don't set aside significant regular, daily disciplined time to pray much, and we don't think it's worth to meet with each other to pray, we wonder, why is my faith weak? Why is my hope feeble? Why is my passion for Christ small? And under delight in the discipline. Meanwhile, and I wonder whether this is happening now, the devil is whispering in your ear to some of you, this is John Piper, the pastor is getting legalistic now. He's moving on to the legalistic part of the sermon. I'd call it the application of what we need to go away and do. He's starting to use guilt now. He's getting the law out now. To which I say, to hell with the devil and all of his destructive lies. Be free, Bethlehem Church. Be free, River Church. Be free, you individually. Is intentional, regular, disciplined, earnest, Christ-dependent, God-glorifying, joyful prayer, a duty, a discipline only? Well, it's a duty the way that hungry people eat food. It's a duty the way that thirsty people drink water. So you could call it a duty if you want to. It is like that. But I hate the devil. I hate the way he's killing some of you by persuading you it's legalistic to do regular, set-aside, disciplined praying. I hate the devil and the way he's killing you. He's laughing up his sleeve at how easy he can take out Christians. We're suckers for his worn-out legalism. 
You should just look at him and say, I'm older than that. I'm not in fifth grade anymore. I've grown up a little. Get out of my life. I've got work to do because I'm a sinner in desperate need of talking to my king every day. And my sin inclines me to leave it over and over again. If I don't set aside a place and a time, I'm a goner. Folks, if we don't eat, we starve. And if we don't drink, we die of thirst. If we don't exercise a muscle, it atrophies. If we don't breathe, we suffocate. Just as those are the physical means of life, they're a spiritual means of grace. And John Piper finishes by saying, it is that simple. And I will finish by saying, if you want to be in tune with God, if you want to hear him for your life, then reading the Bible, but stick it, putting aside that time, be disciplined. Put aside that time, because all those people who contribute on a Sunday... You know, they're not so super spiritual. They're not setting aside time and they just hear from him. They are the people who are setting aside time to listen to God and get in conformity with his will and to harmonize with him. Ask God for that in your life. Give him the chance to do things and he will delight in doing things with you.